Welcome, Ringrats, to the Blackhawk Rinkcast, Episode 5, sponsored by PuckHockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. Uh, use that discount code, The Rink, T-H-E-R-I-N-K. Today is Friday, December 1st, 2017. What's up, jerks? And today is the one-month anniversary of the-rink.com. So, uh, happy anniversary to everyone. Uh, I am Jeff Osborne, better known as Gatekeeper, and I'm not joined by my co-host and good friend, John Jekyll. Uh, but we still are your trusted sources at the newest hockey hangout, the-rink.com. Uh, John couldn't make it. We had some scheduling conflicts, but I wanted to throw together a little bonus episode for everyone uh, <clears throat> today. Uh, I did a little interview with Aaron Goldschmidt and Mario Tarabasi when we attended the uh, Ice Hogs game over Thanksgiving weekend. So I'm going to throw that in here. And I'm also going to retread uh, the interview with Craig Cussens uh, that we did on October 17th, where uh, John and I uh, interviewed him for his book, Behind the Bench, Inside the Minds of Hockey's Greatest Coaches. Uh, he had some really nice uh, insight on Coach Quenville. And uh, for all of you who don't listen or didn't listen to the uh, shoutcast over on Puck and Hostel. I'd, I'd like to bring that over so you could all enjoy that interview and uh, we could give Craig Custance a little bit of a plug. So uh, other than that, there a little bit of news that was just announced probably an hour ago, which is that Corey Crawford was put on injured reserve. Uh, Jeff Baruby was brought up from Rockford and Colin Delia was moved from uh, the Indy Fuel up to the uh, Rockford Ice Hogs. Uh, right now we don't know the extent of the injury, but as I wrote in my article on the, uh, the dash rink.com, uh, it looks to me like he may have hurt himself in the first period, making a save on Matthias Janmark's shorthanded breakaway and never really fully recovered, probably woke up a little more sore than he would like. So they're going to give him the break now rather than, uh, aggravate the injury. And, uh, they'll bring up Barube, let Forsberg kind of go, for the, uh, I'm hoping only the next week, uh, maybe, maybe Barube gets in, but I highly doubt he's going to see any time. And then, uh, Colin Delia is going to move from Indy to, uh, Rockford and then, uh, back up Jeff Glass down there. And you may see a little bit of, uh, Colin Delia. I really hope you do. But, uh, before we get into the interview with, uh, Aaron and Mario and I from last weekend. I just want to remind everyone, please go to our sponsor, puckhockey.com, P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y. Use the discount code THERINK. Get some uh, some nice hockey slash metal themed gear. Uh, for all your uh, favorite family members and friends that you want to get Christmas presents for, uh, we're hoping that uh, we will be having a the-rink.com uh, line of merch out before Christmas. That is the the very aggressive uh, hope of our uh, of John and I, but uh, we, we shall see. It, if not by Christmas, shortly thereafter, you'll be able to go there and buy hats, sweatshirts, jerseys, t-shirts uh, with some of the slogans on there. We might have, you know, we might work on a uh, hashtag Big John Stud or a hashtag El Gato. Uh, or something like that. So uh, <clears throat> without further ado, I want to turn this interview over to uh, Mario, Aaron, and I from this past weekend. 
So uh, I hope you enjoy what we had to say about uh, the Ice Hogs, and uh, we'll be back shortly. All right, so I'm here with Mario Terabasi and Aaron Goldschmidt post Ice Hogs loss to the Wolves 4-3 tonight. Um, just quickly, I want to uh, throw together a quick little interview here. And uh, Aaron, what were your uh, what were your thoughts on the game tonight? What, what did you see? You know, overall, I thought it was a really quick game. Um, There's a lot of fluky goals. Most of the Ice Hogs shots came on on long shots from the point. They had a lot of power play opportunities. Um, you know, I've, I've been following Matheson Icapelli since his, uh, you know, last year at Western Michigan, and he's always had a phenomenal wrist shot, and we saw that tonight on display. He took it into the zone and, and picked a corner and sniped it, and so I was really impressed with him. Um, and, you know, we were, I was also watching Luke Snuggerud. I got to see him at Nebraska last year, and, and he's been solid. He's playing with Philly Polka, and I'm pretty sure he had a primary assist on his goal tonight. So, um, you know, overall, it looks like the players are developing, even though they've had a couple, um, you know, tough losses in a row. Yeah. Um, I mean, unfortunately, the uh, the Ice Hogs went up 3-2 and then uh, gave up two two quick ones and went down 4-3, and... Uh, so here we are tonight. But um, Mario, what about you? What do you? Th- what did you see? I mean, it was it was a really typical back and forth battle between Rocker and Chicago. I mean, they're going to see each other, I think ten, nine or ten games this year. Um, always a always a rivalry. Um, they, the Ice Hogs, uh, I feel like we're they give up an early goal. They come back two minutes later. Thomas Yurko ties it up one one. Uh, second period, again another early goal. They give up. About midway through, they, they they tie it up again with their first power play goal, and I think November. <laughs> um, it's been a while, so um, you know they get they get back, they tie it up, then you know as you, as you mentioned, they get a they get a three two lead and then cough it up quickly. So uh, it's it's a, it's it's a goal or it's a game that I'm sure that they wish they they had a, a better uh, a better effort. You know, we talked with a couple players and and Coach Colleton after the game, and they all kind of had the same sentiment that wasn't their best effort and Chicago just kind of took them off their game so um it's early in the season but I think they they showed a little resiliency but um definitely a game that they probably could have could have at least gotten a point out of towards the end of uh towards the end there they had a uh a scramble that they might have gotten a lucky bounce but uh just didn't come together yeah I think uh a couple of those those last two goals were pretty much snipes so they uh (laughs) I don't know that Baruby had much of a chance on that so uh but when you give up like 38, 39 shots in a game, you're not going to win a whole lot of them. And then they couldn't score on the power play, which was another big problem. So um, there's some things that need to be worked on down here, I think. Uh, uh, even though they started off pretty pretty well, I think uh, the, the, the rest of the league kind of caught up to them. And then uh, and now they're trying to find their identity a little bit. So. Uh, any last thoughts? I don't know. How about you? Yeah, it's only one thing that's really concerned me, and I, I saw the Ice Hogs on Wednesday play the Minnesota, or Iowa Wild, and uh, I was really honing in on Graham Knott, and I was thinking, you know, this is a second-round pick, great size, supposedly, you know, he's got good hands, and he, he was really had a, a decent career, a great career, actually, with the OHL, uh, Windsor Spitfires, another team. And, we have yet to see any of and, that. Though. And we have not seen that. And he's playing fourth-line minutes. He's not playing center, which is his natural position. And it's just a little concerning that he's not getting the minutes, he's not getting the exposure um, that he – I don't know if he deserves, but 
we're just not seeing enough out of him. On the flip side, um, a guy that we've really liked, uh, a John Jekyll guy, Matthew Highmore, seems to have a nose for the puck. The guy is everywhere, high motor, really wants to play, and he really gives the Ice Hogs an, an edge that they play with. So really impressed with him. Definitely want to see more from Graham Knott. And you really, you really notice him out there with that unusual number nine in the Hawks' colors. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I mean, I did. Uh, I would have liked to see him uh, hold that lead at the end there, but they kind of fell apart for a little while. And, I don't know. Anything else from you, Mario? Yeah, I think it, it's another game where he, he – I don't know. I'm, I have to look back at the box score, but I don't think he got on the score sheet. But Vince Hinostroza, I mean, the, the narrative kind of continues here that he's um, – He's been one of the best players in Rockford this season and um, continues to show that he's, he's probably at that, that level where he's a step above the AHL and, and you know, what, the, what the talent level is uh, in, in that league. And, you know, Chicago uh, got a win tonight in Florida for one. So, you know, they're, they're starting to maybe turn a little bit of a corner. Maybe that makes it harder for him to, to get a spot, but I think he's still uh, he's still doing enough uh, from what I've seen to still be in the conversation to be a guy that uh, you know should be looked at maybe one or one or w- one of the top two guys that they should look at when uh, maybe making their first transaction this season. Yeah, that's for sure. You could see that they get that he gets counted on heavily. He's out there in a lot of different like even towards the end of the game too. He was out there all the time. Seems like he's out there for every shift. So I mean, clearly that's uh, they know that he's. Uh, He's their guy right now. But uh, there were some other things that we noticed, too, just from being out here, which was Andreas Martinson getting a lot of playing time with top six forwards. He was on the power play. Yeah, he was on the power play. Coach Carlton, uh, you asked him you know, about, about that, which is uh, we'll have that up, I'm sure, by the time this comes out. So uh, we'll see, uh, you know, we'll hear his thoughts on that. So, uh, But overall, you know, they're, they're – uh, they're not as disorganized as they were last year. I think there's a lot of promise. They're a young team. And uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to. I think everyone should uh, yeah. check them out when they get a chance. Through, through a month and a half, they're, they're, a lot of, they're way more fun to watch than they were at, at any point last season. So um, the, the youth movement that the organization has invested in Rockford this year um, so far is, is looking, looking like it's, it's, it's going in the right direction. Agreed. You got anything? That's all for me. All right. Uh, for the rink.com, this is Mario, Aaron, and Gatekeeper, and we're out of here. Once again, I want to thank staff writers Aaron Goldschmidt and Mario Tarabasi for uh, joining me at the game. We had a good time, and uh, we actually got to speak with uh, Coach Jeremy Culleton, uh, Luke Johnson, uh, Thomas Yurko, and uh, Vili Polka. So uh, it, was, it was nice to hear what they had to say about everything. Uh, it was too bad we couldn't witness a win, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it's nice to get out and see what the prospects are doing. Uh, so we're going to move on to the this interview. Uh, it was originally taped on October 17th. Uh, John and I interviewed Craig Custance about his book, Behind the Bench, Inside the Minds of Hockey's Greatest Coaches. And we spent about 35, 45 minutes talking about his book, and we uh, we actually talked about uh, Coach Joel Quenville, and uh, he he uh, he was very generous with his time. And I just thought that uh, I would bring this interview over and kind of uh, let everyone who hadn't previously listened to us hear what Craig had to say about you know Coach Quenville and stuff, and also to let Craig get a little extra plug in for his book. So uh, again, 
if you want to uh, run out, you can get get it where books are sold. Uh, we we actually do plug the book where uh, all the places where you can get it. But uh, make sure you go out and read it. It's a really good book and uh, it's worth your time. So without further ado, let's get into this interview. Here is John Jekyll, Craig Custance, and I talking about his book. And today on the line, we our guest is the editor-in-chief from The Athletic Detroit and the host of the Full 60 podcast, Craig Custins. Hello, sir. How's it going? Good. Good, my friend. Uh, I just awesome. actually found your Full 60 podcast this week, so that's my <laughs> new thing that I added to the... Uh, I was surprised you added it in there. So we're only two episodes in, so yeah, it's, the playlist. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very new baby, but it's been a lot of fun to do so far. Like if... I'm actually when I'm done with this, I'm going to edit some of the audio on episode three, um, and they've, it's it's you know it's an hour long, right. obviously by the name of the title, and it's really it really is an opportunity to dive into some in depth stuff with people around the game. So it's been great. Yeah, I listened to the one you did with cool. Russo. It was really good. I mean, uh, I learned a lot yeah. about the guy. You know, it was really interesting. He's he's an interesting cat, and, and like Mike is, uh, he's an easy interview. Just you throw him a, a question, and then I would sit back and drink coffee for twenty minutes and <laughs> let him talk. So as far as podcast hosting went, that was pretty easy. Yeah, I was pretty. Uh, uh, the the stories of him like uh, hanging out at the airport waiting for the planes to land, <laughs> really, that was really good. So if, uh, if any any of you out there go download that podcast, it's really good. Oh, it was fun. It was yeah. great. And, you know, the funny thing was we were both at different airports unknowingly. Or maybe we must have known at the time because I'm sure we were both live tweeting, right, you right. know, as planes were landing. And it was uh, – I feel like we haven't had a good chase like that in free agency in a while. It's, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a few years. We're due one of those. Yeah, there, there, aren't, there aren't a whole lot of big – you know, they keep locking up all these free agents real early, yeah. long-term contracts, so – yeah, it's been an issue. I've already started kind of looking ahead at some of the other, I mean, not to get really sidetracked before we get going, but yeah. some of the other classes. And and I, mean, I guess you can always say this when you look down the path, like you can always say, oh, it's going to be great in two years and then a million people sign. But like in terms of defensemen, yeah. if some of these guys decide not to sign, I mean, there's there's Drew Doughty and Oliver Ekman Larson and Eric Carlson. And all it's going to take is one of those guys to shake free and, and we'll have another full on media stock going on for that. Oh well, yeah, that's kind of like it started the ball rolling with the the college free agents, where they they kind of waited out their time and then went to free agency and like Will Butcher and stuff. Yeah. Once one starts doing it, then the other guys are like, "Eh, here we go." Yeah. So yeah, that started a trend. Yeah. Well, I remember Mike Riley speaking of Chicago. I remember covering yeah. a playoff series, and he was in a. I think he was in a suite with Stan Bowman. Maybe you guys remember that. Like yeah. he was he was the big college free agent that year, and. He, he was walking away from Columbus and it's like those guys. And then, you know, Mike Riley's, you know, he's kind of this borderline NHL player now, but yeah. at the time it was like this huge deal that he was in Chicago. He was, uh, he was playing for Minnesota the other yeah. day when they played the Hawks. Riley. Yeah. yeah. It didn't do much, but he was on, he was on the ice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we had our own with, uh, the Hayes brother. So that's right. Yeah. And yeah. Drew LeBlanc. Remember, remember him? Yeah. Oh God. Drew LeBlanc. <laughs> 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 so well we have you on the line uh i don't want to skip by it because this is the the big thing is your, is your book yeah. behind the bench inside the minds of hockey's greatest coaches now i own a copy i haven't had the time to read it yet because i've got so much stuff going on but um yeah. from what i've been able to you know skim through it i mean this is a really interesting uh thing you did here where you 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 grabbed all these coaches and you, you just sat and you watched the game with them 
Is that, is that yeah, what it was? That was yeah. I mean, that was the concept. And, and really, like, this book was an excuse to do that more than anything. I'm like, yeah. well, if I can convince these guys to sit down and do this, even if I don't sell a copy, like, I, if I just put together a bunch of gobbledygook that nobody reads, um, it, would, it would have been an unbelievable experience. And, and, um, and you know, these, these guys were so gracious with their time and so, so good and kind of animated in their storytelling mm. or you talking about leadership or talking about, uh, you know, in John Tortorella's case, kind of his evolution as a coach and some of these conversations that you can have when it's because it is the middle of the summer and you're kind of, you know, you're locked down for a few hours of hanging out and you're in the comfort of, in some cases, their living room or in Joel Quenville's case, his office at the United Center mm. or you know, Todd McClellan, we did at a summer home in Kelowna. Um, it was just being in that environment, I think, brought out um, a pretty, you know, pretty high cover level where we just had these conversations. And in some cases, like a lot of the chapters, you know, just almost like transcription, like it's a conversation. Reader just to feel like they were there listening. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that is really interesting. Like that's something where you want to be a fly on the wall to just sit there yeah. and watch what's going on. Cause there's, you know, people like Joe Quenville, like he, he just has a commanding personality. Like he commands respect and, and mm -hmm. he's just like that kind of older, wiser uncle kind of thing. And Joel is interesting because Joel, as you guys know, I mean, doesn't typically do a ton of media outside the, the very arranged. Right. And right. even then, like it's. You know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen it where there's kind of the Joel Quenville code. And if he yep. says a guy was all right, that means right. he was horrible. Like, I don't even, you know, what you guys probably know better than I do, right? Like, whatever. Well, we were talking about that today with Seabrook, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That later in the podcast, yeah. So keep going, sorry. No, so, so you, I mean, you guys are, so, I mean, you know, we don't always get to see the Joel Quenville that when you talk to former players that played for him right. or former teammates, and they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy is hilarious and you know there's nobody better to go to a you know, horse race with or I mean, that would have been a better chapter if i had yeah. gone to a horse race with another so, um, so craig yeah go ahead sorry I, I wanted to ask you a question though about ken hitchcock because i had the opportunity a couple of decades ago to do some work with him um some advertising work and you know he has a persona in hockey where he's known as being old school hard on the players kind of a, a rough, gruff, Western Canadian guy. But I, I have to tell you, when, when I met him and worked with him on a couple of occasions, I really found him to be a very soft-spoken and kind of gentle guy. And I, I just thought that was really interesting. And I kind of wanted to ask you about that. I mean, and you're kind of touching on that with Q a little bit. It feels like as far as their, their you know, when you get them in person in an unguarded moment um, and the guard comes down, you know, are, is the personality kind of different than the hockey persona? Yeah, I think that in a lot of these cases they were. Now there's crack chapters. Thought he would be. I mean, he's super intense, and I was laughing like we're watching this game, we're watching the Olympics, and he's taking notes like he's watching it for the first time, and mm. you know, and he's like, okay, I can run this back, and, and let's watch this again. Okay, great, I've got a clip here I can show because he was prepping for the World Cup at the time. This was last summer, and so he was, you know, he's instead of like you know just kicking back and enjoying a summer day in July, you know, watching this old glory moment, it was, how can I learn from this? He was super intense. Whereas, yeah, Ken Hitchcock is, um, I think with us and media fans or whoever, I think we see a different Ken Hitchcock than, than his players see. I mean, he is, he is demanding. And, and 
Um, he was, I think Ken Hitchcock on some level, and this is really early on in the book, it was part of the genesis behind it because when I was first starting out in hockey as a writer, he was, co- he was coaching the Blue Jackets and, and, you know, we kind of did the scrum and then he hung out and chatted with us for a mm-hmm. long time. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, boy, I learned more in that 10 minute window than mm-hmm. I have in 6 million press conferences. And I remember making that comment to Aaron Portsline, uh, who was covering <laughs> the team for the the Columbus paper and yeah Forty goes oh yeah sometimes he'll bring you know local media in and they'll watch film together and like I was like holy cow what a cool idea and I think that like I'm sure on some level you know sparked an idea in the back of my brain that took 10 years to germinate but um yeah I think I think I think the the a lot of times the, the guy behind closed doors is different than the guy at the public persona. And I, I really hope there's moments in this book where I, I think readers see the, the kind of the, the coach for the, the person that they are. That's great, That's man. Cool. That is so cool. Now I, I don't want you to like give anything away, but you got, do you have any, <laughs> any cool, like uh, behind the scenes things about Quenville specifically? Uh, well, so Joel, it was interesting, and I'm thankful for this. Every coach kind of took on their own personality um, and took a, their chapter in a different direction. So I didn't want to like force it and have it be uh, like this X's and O's book, maybe from start to finish, or all leadership or whatever. It, I basically let the coaches go down the path, you know, that they wanted to go down, and, and we we dove into it. And Joel Quenville was certainly unique in his approach because we turned on that film, and it was uh, you know the 2010 clincher against the Philadelphia Flyers, Game mm-hmm. Six in Philly. And, and he, he, it goes on and it's like, he's, he's behind the bench in that moment. Like it was whatever it was, a couple hours of Joel Quenville yelling at players, come on, buff, and like <laughs> complaining about dropping F-bombs about the calls. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. And, and like, I'm just, I'm dying. Cause I'm like, you know, some coaches, like the game would be on and we're just telling. And he's yelling at the screen. It was so entertaining for me to see. Awesome. This guy that we see do the same thing, um, and he's argumentative and all that, and, and we get to see that animated Joe Quenville. And here we are in his office years later, and it's almost like he's thinking he can impact the score of the game somehow, or you know. <laughs> and but in terms of like stories, I, there was a moment, um, and I think one of the local uh, blogs in Chicago picked this up later out of the book after reading the book. But there was a moment where Joel Quenville says. Hey, he goes, I fast forward to the point where Johnny gets hurt in this game. And I'm like, man, I, I was there. I don't remember that moment at all. I'm, I don't remember. And he's talking about Jonathan Taves. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm like, I, yeah, Jonathan Taves doesn't get hurt in this this game, Joel. And he's like, oh, yeah, he does. He, he said, in fact, he probably wouldn't have been able to play game seven. And and wow. He's, and he says, there's, you know, we started throwing him out there in shifts just as a decoy. So the Flyers had no idea how hurt he really was. Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so then we started looking for it. And we're, and there was a point where the Flyers score a goal and he's on the ice. And I think somebody in the crease, like I forget who it was now, ends up on his knee and, and he mess, he hurts his knee. And he's like, that's that's it right there. Stop the tape. And and uh, you know, we're watching it. And then he's like, okay, let's see when he comes out again. And we're kind of start we're tracking shifts at this time. And he sends you know John Madden out for a faceoff. He's like, okay, that would have been Taves normally, but this is you no, know, he's he's hurt. Wow. Yeah, and it was just like stuff that I never would have known. You know, we're in the press box watching. We had no idea. You know, he he was you know fooling the Flyers and us. And and yeah. you know who knows who knows if Jonathan Taves would have played Game Seven. Who he probably would have gotten enough painkillers to make it happen. But it yeah. was a, a neat moment that I had no idea. 
Yeah, that is great. That's uh, that's a cool insight in on the game because you can only guess sometimes. You know, there's a couple times where the goalie will fall a certain way, and I'll look at him and I'm like, based on being a goalie myself, it looks like he fell a little awkward. It looks like he's getting up a little slow. He may be a little hurt there, but you're only guessing, so you know, you never really know. Yeah, and and so what I did with a lot of these was I would follow up with players that were you know part of those moments, and I remember seeing Patrick Sharp a few months later. He came through town, and I'm like, hey, I'm like, do you remember this? Where Jonathan Taves gets hurt? He goes, he goes, yeah, we none of us knew at the time. And he goes, it wasn't until I saw him, would have been like, you know, a month later in the mm-hmm. summer, and he still had a limp. And he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, it was pretty, it was pretty serious. And I'm like, wow. Wow. That's, no idea. That is, yeah. that's great. I think I also heard you talking about Tortorella, too, on maybe the other podcast, uh, just uh, talking about his personality a little bit on there. Yeah, yeah, John was fascinating because so a lot of these guys, I would say maybe 50 to 75% of them, I had, you know, a, a good enough relationship where we were comfortable with each other and we knew each other. Um, there was only a few coaches where I didn't know him really at all. And Joel, I only knew from press conferences, like, you know, there's kind of a barrier there. Mm-hmm. And John Tortorella was another one where I, I went in a little bit nervous because the only John Tortorella I knew was the guy that, you know, was pretty combative in media. Yeah, and we'd see him after games, and if you didn't ask the right question, you got shot down. And I'm like, "Oh man, how you know what is this three hour session going to be like?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And but I kind of got a sense it was going to be okay because we're texting back and forth, and we're trying to set up a time. And and it was actually his suggestion to bring in Mike Sullivan because I was trying to do both of them. And he's like, well, "Let's do them at the same time, and we'll go back to back." And I'm like, "Because they're such good friends," and I'm like, "Holy cow, this is a great idea." Yeah. And yeah, and so we ended up doing them back and back. And it became a fascinating thing because um, Mike Sullivan, this he was just coming off winning a, a cup with Pittsburgh. So I think of all the coaches, he was probably the most guarded in his evaluation of players. Like John Tortorella mm-hmm. was so far removed from that Lightning team. I yeah. think he, you know, I've, he probably felt more comfortable sharing stories from the, the dressing room. Right. Whereas Mike Sullivan, you know, he was still very kind of protective of his players and all that. And so he would say something about Sidney Crosby and John Tortorella sitting at the table with us and John would just pipe in and be like, you know, Mike can't say this, but here's, here's what we all thought of Sid, you know, a few years ago. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is great. Go by all means, jump in. Yeah. It was and, great. And that's a nice segue to Sid because Sid actually did the forward for your book. So. Yeah, that was, um, that was, I was really excited. He was able to do that. That's because, cool. you know, as a, when you're doing a book, this is my first book. So uh, mm-hmm. this was all kind of uh, new territory for me. And, mm-hmm. I'd never been through this process. And so they're like, oh, yeah, you know, try to get somebody prominent to do the forward that, you know, helps you know, whatever purchases. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to get another coach, although that would have been fine. It would have been good. Um, but I noticed, you know, Sid was a prominent player in four of the ten chapters because, you know, I did the two Penguins Cups with Sullivan and Dan Bilesma. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike Babcock, you know, obviously Sid scored that gold in the goal in the 2010 game. Right. And then uh, did a World Championships game with Todd McClellan, which was Sid's um, triple gold club when he won the World Championships. So I'm like, okay, I, I think that's, you know, that's kind of the pie in the sky idea. And I, I pitched it to his camp at CAA and they're, you know, I kind of told him the concept and he thought it was a cool idea. And, and here we are. It was, it turned out great. Very cool. Hey, Craig. Um, so I, I got, I had to ask this question and, and, you know, I have not read the book either. And I, I apologize for that. I am going to read it. Cause this is like fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, I, these, some of these guys, especially when you talk about Tortorella, Quenville, but I think it probably 
applies across the board. These are all highly competitive individuals, right? Yeah, for sure. So as far as that goes, did you get any sense from, from any of these guys or all of these guys or, or none of these guys, how they view the, their, their peers, you know, who like, yeah, you know, Babcock and Quenville seem to have always seemed to me to have a very respectful, almost a rivalry because they, they faced off in big series before, you know, when, when, uh, uh, you know, Babs was coaching in Detroit and, and, um, you know, Q was coaching Chicago and the two teams were kind of, you know, seven, eight years ago, were kind of going head to head. So did you get a sense from these guys that how they feel about their peers and who they hold in high esteem and, and why? Yeah, maybe not who they hold in high esteem. But what I will say is there's um, definite, there's a definite coaching fraternity that these guys belong to, right? It's, it's a tight-knit club. I think on some level that helped the cause because once I had a few kind of high-profile coaches agree to do this, right. then it was like, well, you know, I've got Mike Babcock and, you know, whatever. I think that helps pitch it to a guy like Joel Quenville who may not know me from anybody. And so... I think that, you know, there's definitely a, a fraternity. Um, it, you know, one of the other, I forget which coach talked about, but, the, you know, there's so much sharing within the coaching community too. Like these guys all do, you know, around the draft, there's this huge coaching conference and they're, you know, they go up on stage and they share PK strategies and here's what, here's what worked for us this year. And which, you know, you, when, really, when you think about it, it's like, imagine if we did that in any other business where we're giving up, you know, trade secrets to the guy that you're trying to beat in three months. But like that's, I mean, these guys are almost protective of each other, and and um, the, where I where I found, you know, I guess there's a limitation to that because I, I remember there's a point in the John Tortorella chapter where I I said, you know, I kind of lumped him in. I said, yeah, you, you know, you've been compared to Mike Keenan or Bob Hartley, mm. you know, some of these really demanding coaches, mm. and John did not like that. Like he he was like, stop, like I, I'm not. <laughs> You know, and I don't think he was putting down those guys. And he's because he said those guys don't want to be compared to John Tortorella. You know, we're all our own guy. So I think there's there's probably limitations like these guys are all, you know, on some level they want to share with each other. But I think each of them wants to carve out their own place in the game. Or at least that's the sense I got. Hmm. Cool. Awesome. Well, I, I don't want to shift gears too much, but um, we did have a question that I wanted to kind of get in there for you. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's kind of more of a general thing. It was something that came out recently. And uh, basically the, the, the question was, um, what do you think of the latest comments from Ken Dryden about the, uh, regarding the CTE and the concussion prevention that he was mentioning uh, a couple days ago? Yeah. So I've, I've held off on reading all of that. Cause I'm like, I've got to mm-hmm. dive into this cause I'm sure we're going to all be weighing in on it at some yeah, point. Right. So I am not, so if you want to tell me what he said exactly, I'm like, this is on my list, like in very short order to dive into. I just haven't had a chance to do it yet. Yeah. I, I basically think he just said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing cause I didn't read the entire article, but it was something about, you know, they need to penalize for any hit to the head whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's basically what it came down to. Um, That's a tough one. I, I, I don't, um, be, having seen um, the results that that a former mm. players now, I mean, we mm. I've talked to agents where they're like, my client calls me, you know, two or three times a day, and he's asking for directions home. Wow, and you know, and these guys can't find their car keys, and their lives are miserable. And, yeah, and and so I have a really hard time saying, ah, you know, that's fine because because I think uh, you know hockey's a tough sport, so. I think, may, you know, I, I am certainly not against anything that shifts 
the pendulum even more in the favor of safety. I, I like hockey. You're playing on ice and you're you're flying, and I think the game yeah. is faster than ever. So yeah. you're never going to be completely safe. Um, but like, I turned on fighting. It was Steve Eisenman who said, said it to me. He's like, I, we were, I was kind of just polling GMs at the time about fighting, and and you know this was kind of at the height of the concussion thing. I said, well, what do you you know where are you at on fighting, Steve? And as a guy who I'm sure was protected by Bob Probert and Joey Kosher, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and he said. Look, we're trying to get concussions out of the game, and we're it's okay. We, we currently allow guys to hit each other in the head. He's like, that doesn't that doesn't add up to me. And I'm like, oh, it was like so simple. I'm like, here we are debating this a million different ways, and you got to protect the star. And here was one of the stars of his era saying, you know, we're, we're, we think it's okay to allow guy. You know, it's, it's it just doesn't add up, and it kind of changed my perspective. And so I'm probably the same way. It's like, look, if we can protect these players' long term health, uh, you know. I'm willing to give up that aspect of the game. You know, I thought what I thought was interesting was uh, after Bob Probert died, they did um, an analysis of his brain and, and he, his brain was essentially mine. Um, he'd mm-hmm. had, he had taken, I think they said something like 13 concussions and, you know, Bob definitely won more fights than he lost. For and, sure. Uh, you know, it's it. Cause I personally, I think, I think, I think the fighting is obviously part of it, but, Fighting has become such a really marginal part of the game at this point anymore. It seems to me like it, it's it's the actual headshots in the course of the game on on, on dirty hits um, or just hits to the head that, it, that is you know inflicting a lot of the damage and real severe damage. I mean, because to your point earlier, you know the game's faster than ever, faster than ever. The the, the space space age equipment is almost weaponized yeah, in terms of its, of its hardness. Sure. And then these guys these guys are bigger than ever and. You know, it it seems like we're not seeing as many of the, you know, really, really nasty hits where the guys are leaving their feet anymore and launching into guys. Um, Ed Olchek had an interesting theory that he threw out a couple of years ago, and, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more later in the podcast. Um, with You know, that's wonderful news. But, um, you know, his, his thinking was that if they actually adjudicated to where the player cannot hit and raise his arm, his arms away from his body. And if you think about that, that really takes a lot of those really dirty headshots out of it in terms of the elbow being raised um, and possibly mm-hmm. even you know, the player leaving his feet. Because um, yeah, I, I, no, I just don't see sense. how you're going to take – yeah, and I don't see how you're going to take hitting out of hockey. I don't know how you do that. So it'll be interesting to see how they sort of you know, adjudicate this if they, if they try. For sure. And then, I mean, there's always the argument. I mean, when the guy's – you know, reaching out and his head is way low. I mean, it, you know, what do you do then? Yeah. Is it yeah. is it completely on the Otis? Is there any you know uh, responsibility in the puck carrier or the the guy being hit? And um, I, I mean, I, I that's the challenge. There's so many gray areas, though. But I think ultimately, like you look at what the NFL has done in terms of protecting its stars and making it you know certainly more of a passing league than it used to be. And I you know I, I'm perfectly fine with that like i think i'm thrilled that the nhl is moving more towards skill and protecting its star players and opening it up for them because i think that's when the game's at its best and i'm i'm happy to see anything that moves in that direction yeah and i think it's going to draw more fans in the future too you know the, the people will adjust people will you know get over the uh you know the old school caveman fighting thing i mean yeah, you know, I'm. I think John so. I, like, who's who's complaining about? There's no like. I, I haven't heard a ton of complaining that there's not a million fights every game. Have you guys? No, 
Not really. No. I mean, you hear it. You hear it. You're always going to hear the meatheads, you know, <laughs> every sure. every bit, you know, every little bit. But, um, you know, like John and I are both, you know, older gentlemen. You know, I'm in my <laughs> mid 40s and John's slightly older than me. And we remember the 80s, you know, so, bench clearing sure. brawls and, you know, the St. Valentine's Day massacre and, you know, all that stuff. And. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, I'm fine without, you know, huge bench clearing brawls. I don't, you know, I, I could enjoy a fight every now and then. But, I mean, look what just what we had the other night with John Hayden busting the face up of uh, Felino, mm-hmm. you know, with one punch. What I what I do find interesting, Craig, and I don't, I don't know if, if this has been your experience, but what, what I hear from people in the game, um, and I probably don't talk to as many people in the game daily as you do, but I, I do a little bit. And what I hear is, is that the notion of protection and deterrence is, is still there. Um, right. and, it, and it has to do with guys running your star players. You know, when, when uh, Tommy Wingles and Lance Balma are playing regular shifts with Patrick Kane, a lot of the fans start, you know, start wondering if Quenville's lost his mind. And, you know, my response is that is there's a reason those guys are playing with Kane. And sure. it's probably because somebody has taken a run at him or has sent a message or there's some chirping going on. And, uh, you know, it's just it's really interesting. I mean, that that, that element is still there in the game. And, and the question is, is how they're going to ultimately adjudicate hitting and, and, you know, what they call taking runs at guys. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, yeah, I mean, I think especially as far as the skill player, they've just got to apply it evenly and, and rigorously, you know, because yeah, they've had the opportunity and haven't done it. That's my biggest criticism. So if you're going to remove the enforcers and, and, and I agree with you like that there needs to be some deterrent, right, from kind of the, I guess the, the term the players will use is rats, right? Like the guys have just taken the cheap shots. And I think where the league has dropped the ball is in kind of lax suspensions. It seemed like for a while there, especially when Brendan Shanahan was in charge of discipline, it was going down the, you were going down the path where, okay, if something happened, there was some severe, there was some teeth, right? Right. And so I mean, you can't take away the enforcers and then also not, there's got to be some deterrent, right? And right. you would you would think the league would would be the one to then say, okay, look, we, we want to get fighting out of the game, we want to protect the players more. We realize there there are guys that are going to take liberties now on Patrick Kane, so we're going to play the role in, in the league offices. And I don't think they've done a good job of that. Yeah, yeah, the league offices been kind of in a state of flux now that, that like this past year they made a bunch of changes and stuff. And you're right though, Shanny was real good about you know putting the hammer down on those guys and it kind of got a little lax the last couple of years and what happened to those videos do we have i love like the shanahan explanation (laughs) for sure that's awesome yeah um so i don't want to like i said we don't want we don't want to take up too much of your time but i i think we uh i think we covered this book pretty well um yeah once again it's behind the bench inside the minds of hockey's greatest coaches you came out on october 1st and uh, you can get it on Amazon or, you said, uh, anywhere books are sold. And you can get the digital copy also if you have, yeah. like, a Kindle or something. Yeah, the Kindle, Kindle and all that. Yeah. Uh, and then I want to plug, while I'm just here plugging no, stuff. Go ahead, go ahead, um, go ahead. The athletic. The plug athletic, away. You know, we're in, we're, I'm running the Detroit operation of the athletics, still doing some kind of national hockey coverage. But, you know, Chicago, especially Scott Powers, I love what he does on the Blackhawks in terms of prospect work and his coverage of the team. You know, he's a very creative guy and, and finds a way to do it differently. And and if you're a hockey fan, I would also, I mean, if you're not subscribing to The Athletic, there's so much good stuff on there. I'm, I'm, I am I'm like genuinely sell it and, and feel proud about what we're doing. 
Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, congratulations on he's gonna, go congratulations ahead. on getting with the uh, the athletic. I want I wanted to tell you that, and uh, and it's funny you bring up Scotty Powers because I think you know, in, in maybe a couple of podcasts we might have him on yep. one of ours. So, yep. yeah, you should. He's a great dude, man, yeah. and he knows that team inside and out. Yeah. I think we're going to get Porchline on too at some point. Oh, good, nice. Yeah. So we'll work our way around. Yeah, he's my, he's my neighbor here in Columbus, so uh, we're going to work on him too. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So all right. So um, thanks a lot, Craig, and uh, buy the book. <laughs> buy the book and read it. It seem it from what I've seen of it, it looks really good, and I ha- and I own it, and I'm going to read it cover to cover. So thanks a lot, Craig, oh. for your time. Well, I appreciate it, guys. I really appreciate thanks, it. Craig. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. Take care, guys. Thanks. Once again, I want to I want to thank Craig Custins for joining us and uh, spending a little time talking about Coach Q for a while. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to thank Mark Peprzika from SportsMockery.com and the 312 Podcast. Uh, he put together a review for us on iTunes, so I want to read that off for you. Thanks again, Mark. Uh, basically goes as follows. Honest and fun Blackhawks takes with no BS, five stars. Gate and JJ are two of the most knowledgeable and honest hockey Blackhawks minds. Their brutal honesty is refreshing and brings an object and brings an objective take on a sometimes homerish hockey city. I'm excited to continue listening and see the-rank.com evolve into becoming the go-to hockey source. Thanks again, Mark. Uh, and also uh, Zoe over at the 312 podcast. We had them on last uh, podcast and uh, those guys are great. So, uh, wrapping up, uh, I, I don't want to forget that, uh, please head over to puckhockey.com. That's P U C K H C K Y and use the discount code, the rank, uh, to get your loved ones, some, uh, hockey slash metal theme gear. And, uh, once again, we hope to be bringing you the dash rank.com gear, uh, before Christmas. So you can buy some of that for your loved ones as well. So that wraps things up for this week. You can find us on all the popular social media at the rink official at the Rinkcast. You can find me at puck and hostel. You can find my boy, double J John Jekyll at J A E C K E L. You can find all of our content at www.the-rink.com, especially the article that I just wrote moments ago about Corey Crawford. If you get the chance, please head over to iTunes, rate and review us like my boy, Mr. Pepper Zikra did. Uh, we much appreciate that. That gets us higher in the ratings. It gets us recommended to new listeners and uh, every little bit helps. Uh, that's it for my plugs. Uh, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen and support us. Happy one month anniversary until next week. See you on the rink.